When Death Comes by Judith Klimos When death comes, it is not convenient or better or easy. It doesn't come with manners, etiquette, or rules to follow. It doesn't come bringing a gold-leafed invitation you can decline. It comes with surgical steel precision dissecting your life. Death may come in the quiet of night with a crash. It may come at high noon with a silent breath. It may be welcomed like a soft bed of blankets after a long journey. It may be as disagreeable as a bed of nails. Death comes without explanation, justification, or reason. It comes without being fair or just or reversible. It comes without your permission, approval, or acceptance. It comes without an undo button or an option to refuse delivery. When death comes, it cares not what God you do or do not believe in. Whether you went to temple, church, mosque, or Sunday brunch, it cares not what's in your bank account or on your to-do list. It certainly cares not whether you are ready. When grief comes, it comes ripping shreds of flesh from emotional bones, filling them with marrow of sorrow. It cares not how many birthdays you've had, nor how many degrees hang on your wall. Grief comes bringing unbelievable pain and intolerable numbness. It comes bringing more questions than answers. It may come as a gentle wave on the shore or as a tidal wave tossing you under and over. Grief comes without respect to place or time or status. It wreaks havoc with equilibrium and motivation. It causes doubt, isolation, and disorientation. It is unilaterally deaf to desperate pleas for mercy. When grief comes, it comes without kindness or compassion. It cares not that you are overflowing with it and unable to breathe. It cares not that it brands epithets on your heart. It cares only that it change you forever. Welcome to the Death Witch Podcast, a podcast that covers anything and everything dying, death, grief, and bereavement. The title of the Death Witch is a play on several things, a tongue-in-cheek play on the terms death watch and having a death wish while tapping into my more mystical side. The Death Witch Podcast hopes to be one of your favorites to turn to for comfort, education, and guidance as we move back towards a culture of understanding death as a companion in life rather than an enemy. Thank you for tuning in to this very special episode of The Death Witch. Today is launch day. It's also my mother's birthday. I did that on purpose to honor her. Please join me as I share my most vulnerable thoughts and feelings around the experience of her death and life. Now, the death witch is in, so let's listen. Today is April 10th, 2021, and the launch of the death witch. Today is also my mother's 15th Earth birthday on the other side of the veil. And I chose this launch date 
in honor of her. We had kind of a rocky relationship, my mom and I. First of all, um, in case you haven't listened to earlier episodes, earlier in my childhood when I was seven, seven, yeah, my mother and her sister were involved in uh, a head-on car collision. They were on the way to the hospital on Thanksgiving Day to see my grandmother, and a drunk driver crossed the meridian into their line of traffic and hit them. This was 1971, and seat belts, if they were a thing, were definitely not mandatory. So my aunt went through the windshield, and my mother, because she was kind of tiny, would sit right up on the steering wheel and Thankfully so, because that kept her from going through the windshield, but she did hit her head quite, quite hard on the um, windshield. So she was left with a traumatic brain injury. And so I think that that is what created our rocky relationship. Because from that day forward, she sort of had a fear that pervaded everything she did. And she, to say that I was sheltered would be an understatement. Um, and it, it, you know, kids don't want to be over, don't want to be sheltered, right? They, they want to be supported and encouraged and believed in and, my mother just had this fear that was so pervasive, not to mention the cognitive issues that happen with a traumatic brain injury. So I didn't really understand it until long after she was, she was dead, actually. My father found a letter she had written in 1992 And my mom didn't die until 2005, so this letter was well hidden. (laughs) And he didn't, we didn't even find it right after she died. I want to say we found it a couple years later when he finally dismantled her office. and, And by that, I mean we had cleared everything out, moved everything to another space. And it wasn't until he moved the things from that space to a different space that he found that. So we didn't even find it in the actual office. It was kind of bizarre, but, um, so I'm just going to share part of that letter with you because it really does speak to the fear that I was, that I was talking about and her perspective. Dearest Judy and Jerry, I had planned to write each of you a letter, but the time disappeared. I want you to know that I loved you both very much. I realize it may not always have seemed that way and never intended our relationship to be as it was at times. Judy, I know you feel as if at times you were my slave and had no teenage years. It would have been otherwise if it were not for the fact that after my car accident, I became very frightened 
of what would happen to you and Jerry if someday I would be in Aunt Agnes's place. When I came home that time, the house appeared to be in chaos. Aunt Marge was doing the best she knew how, but she was not trained to run a household with men and children. Something in me said I had to be sure you, with Jerry's help, could take care of the house and daddy. Once I began to work towards this end, I couldn't stop. That was a lot of pressure to put on a seven-year-old. And it was a lot of pressure for her. She was training me to be her replacement. And there are no replacements for people, right? But this fear drove our entire relationship. Probably until I became a mother myself. And I really was able to draw some boundaries with her. And and establish what I wanted for my own daughter um, versus what I had had um, from my mother myself. I didn't want how I walked through the world because I, I felt like I wasn't enough and I always was fearful and I didn't want that for Emma. So once I, I guess, grew into myself then as a mother, I was able to establish a different relationship with my mom and we, that's when our friendship really started to blossom. And we had 12 years, we had 12 years, which was not nearly long enough after that, but at least it was 12 years and not 12 months, right? So when it came to her death, There was a lot of emotion and a lot of stuff, right? Despite all of my experience and all of my education, I was lost in our family dynamic. And I wasn't able to be the advocate for her that I strive to be now. So that's another reason that I chose today to be the launch of this podcast because it's my way of maybe doing better for her. Her death was so traumatic and it didn't have to be. First of all, she was diagnosed with breast cancer at 74. And my understanding of breast cancer is that it is fed by hormones and that as women age, they have less hormones that feed those tumors. And so Really aggressive treatment isn't really warranted. Actually, the treatment could be more dangerous. And so, but my mom decided to go that route anyway. And I had told her my fears. But she decided to go that route. She decided to do the aggressive treatment, the chemotherapy and the radiation and we sort of distanced during that time. She stopped calling me. She, they didn't, my mom and dad did not include me in that at all. I didn't know when her appointments were. And 
I didn't know when she was starting treatment. I didn't know. I don't even know what stage her cancer was in. They really shut me out. And that was kind of convenient because I wanted to kind of pretend this was not a big deal. Because I had seen people, I had seen women, elderly women, women with in their 80s with breast cancer for 20 years on hospice. And they were dying from something else. The, the breast cancer just didn't go anywhere. So I just wanted to stay in that space. And so we didn't talk as much. And then until she would, something would happen and she'd end up in the emergency room. And then I would fly over, run, run over, fly like wings on my feet, not in the plane because we did live in the same town. And that last time was no different. She was in the ER. She had had chemo. She couldn't breathe. They diagnosed her with congestive heart failure. And they were looking for a bed for her. She waited like all day. I was working as a therapist and still, I still have like fear, you know, right? So I wasn't in a space where I felt like I could cancel my appointments um, because I didn't think my boss would like it. So I went back to work. But as I was leaving, she chooses that in, in therapy, we have what's known as the hand on the door revelations. This is where a patient is literally leaving your office with their hand on the door and they turn and they like drop some big thing. Well, this worked that same way. I was hand on the doors out in the hallway. And my mother decides to tell me then after I had been there for hours, two hours, um, then she decides to tell me that she's scared. And because I was in this torn place, but I had to be the grown up and be in, in, in the therapist chair and I couldn't lose my job and to be this daughter, I said, I bet you are scared, mom. This is scary stuff. And then I left to go to work. And I wish I'd stayed. I wish I'd stayed. I wish I'd. And what's worse is the opposite and tell me that my patients had canceled. Well, the patient I was running, rushing to see canceled. And then the patient after that was a no show. So like the universe had made way and I could have stayed. And it's one of my regrets. And I try not to have regrets, but you know, we're human. So we'll have some. And the death was not great. It was a horrible week. She went into the ER on Tuesday. And we took her off life support the following Tuesday. And the death was traumatic. I mean, that path was so awful. Because nothing they were doing was working. And none of the doctors were they were saying things and they were saying 
was very strange to me because they were saying things that I knew and I would hear in hospice as referring to decline. And they were saying it in more of a matter of fact way, not in no one in the room. It was like I I spoke the secret language and no one else in the room was hearing it the same way I was hearing it. And I didn't know how to explain it. It was just having a death doula, having someone there would have been a gift. And, and I guess that's why it's one of the reasons I, I choose to be a death doula now is just to have that person who is not emotionally attached in the situation, but can be compassionate and empathetic. Try as you might. No matter how educated or experienced you might be, you can't really separate yourself from being the daughter or the son or the parent or whatever the case might be when you're in the thick of it, when it's your family. So as much as I advocate that we don't need to create a whole profession of end of life doulas or end of life workers or end-of-life coaches or whatever one calls themselves. We need communities that have this role, people that fulfill this role, because you can't get out of your dynamic. It's, that is it. Your dynamic changes. It can change, but it never changes dramatically. I mean, it doesn't change in one moment. It changes over the course of time and you don't have that time when you're in the midst of a crisis. So having someone else there who is comfortable walking with people during this phase of life, it would have helped us immensely. Um, It would have taken some pressure off of me because I was doing a very bad job at trying to be an advocate and a grieving daughter. And my mom wasn't being listened to. My father's pain was overriding. And there were things that happened during the course of her treatment that my mom didn't consent to. And she tried very hard to voice that, but, you know, the squeaky wheel gets the oil and the healthcare community, especially um, this particular hospital was Catholic-based and they sort of had the philosophy that you should try all of the things. And my mom was resistant. She did not want to be on a ventilator no matter what it meant. So, and she was overridden and I feel like I should have been braver and I should have stopped it, but I didn't, I couldn't, I I did try. I don't feel like I tried as hard as I would try now, but I did try. So in the end, she kept getting worse and it was determined that 
the, this was a reaction to the chemotherapy. They finally looped in her oncologist, and that's, that's what he said. He said, give her a shot at steroids. Sometimes people re respond to chemotherapy this way. But by that time, all of her organs had begun to shut down, and we were concerned that she would have to live on the ventilator if we gave her the steroids. And so we, we chose not to do that. And we chose to let her go. So then she was gone. And this rocky relationship of ours was on a new path. But when I chose this date as my launch date, I didn't realize that really talking about all of this was going to make me a puddle of tears the day before. But that's how grief works. It doesn't matter that it's been 15 years. I'll never be over it. In the last episode, I, I mentioned that my answer to the question, when will grief be over or when will I be done grieving, is quite simply this. When you yourself cross the threshold, we grieve the rest of our lives because grief is the shape love takes after there's been a separation. As long as you love someone, when they've died, you'll grieve, you'll grieve them. That's just the shape and the color that love has then. And I know it's not the answer that people look for, but it's the truest answer I have. Love is the ultimate human experience. It is in the space of love that we transcend being human and we touch being divine. The earthly experience of grief is the expression of the separation of love. That's all. But love can't really be separated. I don't believe that our loved ones are on the other side of the veil experiencing grief because they can see that we're not separated at all. Grief is the human side of love. And that's okay. We're meant to have that experience, not talk ourselves out of it, not spiritually bypass it. We're meant to have it. It's okay to grieve, but it's okay to understand that it is just a human experience, that the reality is we haven't lost anyone. I want to believe that my mom is proud of me and the work I do now. I don't think she'd think it was weird that I do things about death because her life also was filled with it. My mom, to me, my mom seemed obsessed with death as I was growing up, but, but I get it when I sit back and I look at her life. <clears throat> I don't know how old she was. She might have been 10. I'm going to say about 10. And she had two younger siblings. And when she was around 10, my grandmother was in the hospital for something. I don't know what it was. And I guess in those days it was common or maybe because my grandmother was somehow connected with the church. I, I'm not really sure, but 
my mom and her two younger siblings, while my mom, my grandma was in the hospital, were put into an orphanage because my grandfather couldn't care for them because he had to work, I guess. I'm not really sure. And in, and they were cared for horribly in that orphanage. And my mom had great guilt because her youngest sibling was a, a brother and he was four. And they didn't care for him very well and they wouldn't let my mom care for him. They left him in his crib. He was wet, um, very dirty. And he came out of that orphanage with boils and he ended up dying. And my mom had a lot of guilt about that. She felt responsible. And then her husband died laying in bed next to her. So I get how fearful she was. You know, I get, I understand, you know, and then she has the near death experience in the car accident. So I understood it. I understood why she wrote letters, you know, and long before she died, every time she went on vacation, was in the plane, she would make sure she told us where the wills were, who to contact, where her things were. So I, I feel like this is our project together. I feel her today. And again, this is why I chose her birthday to launch the podcast. Because we never got a chance to work together. And I feel her spirit so strongly today that I know this podcast is mine and hers. So I thank you for listening to all this. I hope you'll join me in the next episode. Thank you for listening to the Death Witch Podcast. I do hope that something of today spoke to your heart and gets you thinking more about death as a part of life. This podcast is listener supported. If you care to support the production costs, simply click support on our page. The content of this podcast is the expressed experience and opinions of the host, Jade Klimos, and those of the guests of the podcast. It is not meant to constitute counseling or direction, nor is it meant to be a substitute for professional advice. Reference to any specific product or entity does not constitute an endorsement or recommendation by the host. The views expressed by guests are their own, and their appearance on the program does not imply an endorsement of them or any entity they represent.